This Week at Hope Point. God knows your heart. He knows when He formed you that you were dust and frail and fallen. And so He's not surprised with you coming over and over again saying, forgive me. So I'm sorry. Say that to God. I'm sorry. Forgive me. You don't have to write a big speech. Just confess it quickly. Don't let it linger. Trust Christ. He will forgive you no matter how often. We're so glad to have you join us for today's message. We pray that it would challenge and encourage you to applaud God, follow Christ, and live on mission. Let's listen to what Richard has to say to us from God's holy word. If God were to come to you today and give you one choice, not the genie in the bottle thing, but you know, sort of like I'm going to give you one wish, one area of your life that you can pick and say, I'm going to improve on that. God's going to give you victory, or what would it be? I think for a lot of you, I, I know for me, it would be, God, I want to know how to pray. I want to be lit up on fire with prayer. It would not be this uh, grunting, trying, but Lord, I just would explode like a river coming out of me. You know, one way to decide for yourself whether or not you need... Um, help in prayer is sort of just think about your life in terms of categories and which category gets the most emphasis. Like, here's, here's my life right here. If we were divided up, Richard's life, research, writing, meetings, counseling, emailing, texting, phone calls, eating, sleeping, exercising, family stuff, yard work, looking for misplaced car keys, worrying, and praying. And it would be nice. I would just tell you, I would take it right now. I would take it right now if my life was completely all the categories were equal. But what if you saw my true pie chart, it would be a, this a very small slither given to prayer in relation to the other things I pour my life into. And that's why I want God to give me new help that the slither would become a large slice of the pie. You don't need a definition of prayer because right now I could ask anybody in HP Kids or here, what is it you say is talking to God? It is, but just to frame it, maybe talking to God about three things. Talking to God about him, talking to God about you, talking to God about others. And it is that whole concept that really causes, baffles us that we have the opportunity to, to, to talk to God, to talk to the God who flung the stars throughout the universe, who uh, dredged the Grand Canyon and raised up Mount Everest, who sends bumblebees to pollinate all the farmlands, and who has been the God who has overseen every battle in history, and he has seen the rise and fall at his command of nations and leaders. And he's seen it all, and we have the chance to talk to him. And, and most importantly, everything he did to make that conversation happen in the incarnation and life and death and resurrection of Jesus all of that in order to be able to talk to God. And we say to God, I'll pass. It's just too busy. I got to go fix stuff. Uh, I, I had a, there was, my first 10 years in ministry were a lot different than now. I was at a little country church, 13 miles away from a town of 7,000. And we were the typical, you know, Baptist church where in the middle of the Third song, the guys come down, the ushers come down and surround the, the stage and, and they stand like this and, 
and that we're ready to have the offering, to take up the offering for the money, and then they're going to give the prayer. And I asked one of them to pray. So I called on one Sunday morning. I'm here, and I look at him down there, and I said, Al, would you lead us in prayer? And he looked up at me and said, I'll pass. No, I, I know there's a rule. If you're not sure, you got to be praying. But fortunately, the guy next to him, named William, he said, I got you, Pastor, and he prayed. But it's amazing that we would ever look at God and say, I'll pass. But that is exactly what we're dealing with this morning. Um, There's no way you're going to have victory in spiritual warfare if, if you're not a person of prayer. For the past, gosh, since late spring all the way through the summer, you've been very patient. We've been making our way through The passage, the biggest passage in the New Testament on spiritual warfare, if you've not been here in four months, then, or just brand new today, we've defined spiritual warfare as this. Life is a holy war in which intelligent evil beings seek to persuade you to reject the rule of God in your life. And we didn't make that definition up. We got it straight out of Ephesians 6. Our struggle is against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms and therefore Put on the full armor of God. So we said, based on that, that life is a conflict. It's a war. It's a never-ending occurrence in which Satan sets out traps in order to persuade you to go there and ruin your life. It's daily and sometimes hourly. And therefore, God equips us in Ephesians 6. We saw that with uh, the life of Christ in different areas of our body so that our, our hands are covered in armor, uh, our feet, um, our head, uh, our, our heart. And we saw all of those. And then we get to the end of this armor passage and then Paul says, one more piece of armor, and that's prayer. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So when Paul says here in, um, you know, right in the middle of the verse with this in mind, he's, if you haven't been here for a while, he's saying, in light of everything I said about this battle against your soul, because of that, make sure that when you get dressed spiritually, you include uh, the armor of, of prayer. So you can read this, and so when you read Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, all it, it just says that we have two postures in life as a believer. We're either fighting or we're fighting and praying, fighting and praying. And it's not one or the other. You put on the armor, all the armor that we talked about, that's how we fight. But then the armor is not enough is what he's saying. So he concludes it with make sure after you're fully dressed, you pray. Because if you're not fighting, that means you've given in to the enemy. You've just said lust, greed, uh, anger, have me. I'm yours. You gave in. If you're not fighting, you gave in. If you're not praying, then you are fighting, but in your own power. So it's a combination when we get to the end of this passage, as we've seen, that life is, the Christian life is one of fighting and and praying. I know a lot of you probably watched the uh, Clemson, uh, the Sorry, Crimson Tide. The Alabama and T- 
Texas game last night. It was just unbelievable. And you know, it's interesting. I love watching, or what commentators have to say about, uh, like when a freshman, a, a college football player comes on campus and then they talk about him in his sophomore year, they did last night, how much he's changed, how much weight he's gained, getting faster, stronger. So they recruited him because he was strong and good, but they made him stronger. So this is what prayer does. You get dressed in spiritual armor, you know, you immerse your life in the Bible as we saw last week. Now that's good, it makes you strong, but prayer is what makes a strong person really strong. And so you have to combine all of the Bible reading with praying. And I, I think that's why Paul puts this at the end of the list. You say, well, if prayer is so important, why does he put it at the end? I think he's like saying this, um, get dressed, Get your shoes on, spiritual shoes, you know, armor, and uh, you know your breastplate of righteousness and your helmet and all that. And he said, and then right before you go out of the door, I want you to look in the mirror. Say, so, you know, see how you're all decked out. Right when you go out the door, then make sure you combine all of that armor, prayer. Because without prayer, that armor is just so ineffective. It's what makes a strong person stronger. You know, one easy way to evaluate if you are needing growth in the area of prayer is to just ask yourself the question, when something happens in your life, what's the first response? Like, do you go to a thing? Like, this is my comfort, my comfort food. You know, do I, do I go there in pain, go there, or in pain, call Call a friend, you, you, where do you go when you're in pain? So I want to show you a video of somebody telling you where their hope is in life when they're in crisis. Let me set it up. About three or four weeks ago, our grandson Wells was staying with us and two o'clock in the afternoon, he needed to nap. So Lisa put him in the back room. I wasn't there. And you know how kids are like, they're just not going to sleep, but they're making lots of noises and they're trying to con you to come in there. And Lisa's, you know, resisting. Like, but finally, his little noises got to be, she could actually hear the word help. Help. That's what he wasn't saying, like, I want to get up. Help. So she went back there and the video, the theme of the video is about this bottle of lotion that he had discovered. But Wells... Tell me what you did with this. What happened? Did you take the top off and pour it out? And now where is it? Is it all over the bed? Yeah. And it was lotion? And it's all over your legs? Yeah, my feet too. And your feet, what should we do? I call Rich. Call Rich? Yeah. All right, stay right there. Let me call Rich, okay? I will go call him. So, whenever Wells faces any crisis, his response is, call Rich. Call Rich. So, who is your call? Like, you're in crisis. You're hurt and your heart is broken or you just messed up and you're full of guilt. And, or you're just facing finances, job decisions. Like, like, wh like what's your go-to? Call Call what? And so you can know how much you need to grow in prayer because so often it's not call God, 
It's, there's, your first reaction is somewhere else. So last week's message was a lot of fun. I don't say that in a cheap way, like you know, cheapen the fact that the adoration of God, but it was fun in the sense that we, we looked at uh, very practical ways to read the Bible. That was fun. I want this week also to be like that in the sense of very practical ways of what does Paul mean in this call to prayer. And we begin by looking at that phrase, pray in the spirit. Sounds very mystical to us. A lot of people say, you know, gosh, this is some secret he must be talking about. Pray in the spirit. Well, it's, it's, it's no secret. In fact, we would be surprised if he didn't use it there because it's so easy to understand. So there's three ways that he means this because of what we see in Ephesians. The first one is to simply to, to pray biblical prayers. We know that because the last thing he said before calling us to pray was, uh, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of, of God. So now he says, pray in the Spirit with the sword of the Spirit. So the first thing he said, if you want to really be good at prayer, just open the Bible and pray those prayers back to God. There's hundreds of them and none better than, you know, Matthew 6, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, every day would be appropriate, if not multiple times a day, to pray that prayer. So just, you know, like we said last week, circle, underline when you're reading, highlight, and then whatever words, phrases mean something, you turn them into a prayer. So pray biblical prayers as a way to pray in the spirit. A second way to pray in the spirit is just to pray with a spirit of dependency. All these verses on the side to your right on that screen are verses that Paul has already used in the book of Ephesians before he got to praying in the spirit. All of those verses talk about things that can only happen in your life by the Holy Spirit. And there are a lot of them. Like none of this happens so you go back and you look at the verse and say, well, if none of those happened apart from the power of the Spirit, then I'm not going to be able to pray apart from the Spirit. So it's dependency. God, help me to pray. It's not natural for me. For whatever reason, I don't like talking to the God of the sunrise. I'm just too busy. God, I got to get over that. So help me in ways that are not natural to me. A third way of looking at this praying in the spirit is just this idea of surrender, submission, willingness. Because again, all of those things to the right of that, all those verses in Ephesians are descriptions of what God wants to do in your life. What he wants to do in the church, what he wants to do in the world. So what you're basically doing praying in the spirit is you begin your prayer time by saying, God, I surrender my life to your purposes and design. And if your prayer cannot begin with that, the rest of it is a charade. Are you just faking everybody out but God? Like if you can't say, I mean, even if you're struggling in an area and you don't have victory, at least say, God, I surrender this area, I need help. But to just say, to buck up and say, I'm about to pray to you, ask for your blessings on my disobedience, so surrender, submission, willingness is what it means also to pray in the Spirit. You submit to what the Spirit wants to do in your life. So then Paul tells us not just how to pray, that would be in the Spirit, but when to pray. He tells us that, pray on all occasions. It seems like a lot to me. All. The majority of the uh, New Testament translators translate that at all times. Pray at all times or always. So that really messes a lot of people up. 
through the years, they like feel really guilty. Like, how in the world can I pray all the time? And they know they can't. God knows you can't. That's not what he means. I mean, if, if a surgeon is praying all the time, he can't remove the appendix. The scientist cannot mix up the chemicals if he's praying all the time. And the teenager at Chick-fil-A cannot fill my number one order if she's praying all the time. I need her to work. So God has assigned us many, many things that he knows are going to take us away from actually at that moment praying. And, and he wants you to be responsible for those things. That's not what he means. Because he really knows that your mind, honestly, cannot have two conversations at the same time. Now, my wife says it's possible because sometimes when I'm, I'm, I'm texting her, I mean, I'm, I'm talking with her, and she's got her phone out texting, and I mean, it'll, it'll be something like really like important, like our lawnmower and something. And I need her to pay attention to me. She says, I'm fine. I'm a teacher. I can multitask. And so I'll be telling her something. Then all she goes, what? She wasn't listening. So you really can't have two conversations at the same time. So God is not asking us to, to do that. I think Kevin DeYoung is, was my best help in understanding this. Uh, to pray at all times means there is nothing that can happen to you today or tomorrow, that prayer will not be the appropriate response. So God is not expecting us to pray every single moment, but he is inviting us to pray about every kind of moment. So there's nothing off limits that you should take to God. One writer, uh, sort of the, probably the best writer on spiritual uh, warfare in this passage, William Garnell said, we are to pray, or we are to... I love this. It's a little old English. We're to season every moment, mingle every duty, oppose every temptation with prayer. Say that again because that's not really the way we talk. Season every enjoyment, mingle every duty, oppose every temptation with prayer. So, so that's how it, that just kind of keeps you constantly looking up. Unlike what one writer said that, you know, if you watch a herd of pigs eating, you know, all they do is head down, eat, 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 and waiting for the farmer to come and give them their next thing and head down. And a lot of times he said, we look like that going through life, work, 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 uh, play, 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 um, eat, 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 and sleep, 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 and just head down, head down. And so instead of that, which is the opposite of head up, praying about all the different seasons and circumstances that come in and out of your life every day. That's a way of thinking about praying always is just constantly remembering, not head down, but look up. And I'll tell you about what things we can say when we look up. But I, I do want to say this. Um, it is true we should pray always. But it is also true that there should be, in the midst of always, one particular moment of the day where you need to be praying that moment every day. And that's whenever you start your day. And I know that's different for different uh, he people here because you, you work shifts and all that. So if you get up at you know, um, 5.30 and you got to be at work at 7, then pray at 5.30. If you get up at 10 to be at work at 11.30, pray at 10. But whenever you start, you know, you're about to just head out into the world. 
before busyness hits you, you pause. Yes, you can pray on the way to work, but pause to pray. And the reason why that is so important is because Jesus modeled that for us in Mark 1.35, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. He had been uh, busy with many miracles the day before, and he was just about to leave with his disciples to a new village for many more miracles. And before it got busy, he prayed. Now, you know Jesus prayed along the way, and you know he prayed sometimes before he did the miracle, he would pray. Or sometimes before he would distribute food, he would pray. But he began his day before it got busy with prayer. If, if he needed to, we need to as well. So that you know, covers how to pray in the Spirit, when to pray, always. Now what to pray for. Pray in the Spirit with all kinds of prayers and requests. So everybody in this room faces, you know, honestly, unlimited circumstances. It's just amazing what makes up your life. But I think if we think about it, you can divide and you say, well, how do I pray all kinds? For me, I'll just say for me that I can pray always if I sort of think about my life in three types of prayer. Thank you prayers, help prayers, and I'm sorry prayers. Um, you know, the thank you prayers to me, I think y'all know me by now. I just, that's, that's my strength. I mean, I am, uh, I, I'm, gosh, I open up my heart. I got lots of flaws, but God's just I, overwhelming gratitude. I mean, it's a spiritual thing, but you know, I saw it in my dad. Like we turned on the gas logs in, in my house growing up and he would thank the Lord for heat. I just saw that. And his joy over that. So thank you prayers are the best just throughout your day. You know, you get a, something happens at work, maybe a bonus uh, or some pleasure, like a cup of coffee. Um, there was a man at my first church, an old man, and he said, Pastor, he said, you know, when I'm in the bathroom, he said, is it all right if I'm thanking the Lord that the pipes still work? Did he, did he just say that? I did because I think it's just a lovely prayer. When you understand the human body, it's just amazing. So thank the Lord for all the functionings of your body and about the leaves are about to change and your, your, your eyeballs are going to see that. Constant interaction. And of course, I mean, I don't know, last Thursday night, man, when I turned on my mighty Toro Titan zero turn lawnmower, every time I turn that key and it fires and that sound, I just, Jesus, thank you. Thank you. I mean... I'm about to cut my grass with a 54-inch deck. Man, I used to have a little Craftsman 22-inch. Thank you for my Toro, Jesus. And speaking of Jesus, obviously, this supreme thank you prayer 
that I do pray a lot when I'm on my Toro is, Jesus, thank you for dying my sins. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for taking that vile thought out of my head and taking it to Calvary. I'm so sorry that somehow my mind can go there. Forgive me. Forgive me. I mean, if there's any reason that you should not give up on prayer is that that's why Jesus, that's why he did everything. Again, from incarnation to his return and all the life, death, and resurrection in between was so you could have a relationship with God and talk to him. He did all of that just for prayer. The next type of prayer I want to, you know, uh, is, is the help prayer. Uh, and if prayer is anything, it's a declaration of your need for help. That's really, that's, it's your, it's your admission to God, I can't handle this, I can't fix this. That's, that's what prayer really is. I need, I need help. And prayer is never going to work until you get to a place in your life where you say, I can't fix this on my own. Because you're going to spend the rest of your life doing and not praying. There's enough responsibility with your work and your family and all of the trials, heartbreaks, and temptations. Man, I think we, we could really fill up our day easily with help prayers. Help prayers. And really... There's only two choices when you face adversity. There's only two choices you can make, and that is either to, to pray or, or worry. That's why Paul says in Philippians 4, 6, don't worry about anything, but instead pray about everything. So you're either going to spend your life worrying or praying. And really, I, I like to say it this way. Worry is focusing on the future instead of focusing on God. That's your, that's your choice in life. You got this big thing that may or may not happen. You don't know. You don't know how it's going to turn out. You're working hard and, you know, all that, but you can't, you know, you can't make that, you know, whether at work or parenting, like you just can't make things, things happen. So you can spend your life wondering slash worrying how it's going to turn out. Or, you, in other words, you can worry about the future or you can pray to God who's already in the future. And he's the only one who sovereignly controls the future. So you can stare at the future or stare at God who controls the future. So, you know, that help me, you know, the situation you're thinking about, I mean, you can say that about everything. I mean, help me with this situation. Help me with my anger. Help me with my lust. Help me with my, my fear. Just help. And, you got, and it, it's, it'll come alive when you sort of look at, your, at the end of your resources. I don't know how many of you have, um, you know, listened to the song, uh, Richmond, North of Richmond by Oliver Anthony. It's, to me, it's like, uh, you know, it's a, it's a song for us, the people. I don't care what side of the aisle you're on politically. It's like, this guy wrote a song uh, basically as a protest against the the people in D.C. that don't understand the people in Spartanburg, that it's hard to live. Lisa went to the grocery store. Last week, she came back and she showed me the bill. I'm helping her get the groceries in. I said, please tell me there are more bags. Man, is it expensive. And my daughter, she's a single mom, so I know it's crushing her. And we can do it, but like, whew. That's, that hurts. Man, Captain Crunch is expensive. (laughs) 
So he's, he's written the song about, hey, 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 you guys up there, rich men in rich, rich, the rich men in Richmond, or north of Richmond, hey, why don't y'all get in touch with us? And he's talking about everybody up there. So I like it. I didn't, uh, but I didn't bring him up because of that. I brought him up because that, I mean, that song went number one mid-August. Prior to that, he never had a song on the charts at all. It's crazy, isn't it? And um, wrote a lot of songs, just n- nothing made the charts. Um, but a month before that went viral, he was uh, in the emergency room thinking he was going to have having a heart attack. For two years, he said, I had a knot right here of worry and guilt in my chest. Uh, wasn't doing what I should be doing. That led to procrastination. Uh, that led for me to handle the, that procrastination and the guilt of that with drugs, handle it with drugs and alcohol. A lot of dark thoughts. And so he's in the ER, thinking he's having a heart attack. They said, you're not having a heart attack. You have an anxiety attack. And so he went outside after they told him you're going to live and he didn't know how to live. So he got in his pickup truck and just started crying. And this is what he said. This is the interview I heard this week. So what he said in the pickup truck. I had a breakdown moment. I was crying and felt hopeless. Almost like a four-year-old child feels hopeless when they can't find a parent. I just didn't have anything left in me. Right then and there, I knew I can't do this anymore. I knew there were things I needed to do. So I told God, I'll give up the weed and I'll quit getting drunk and I'll quit being angry. I'll start over again and make you the focus and not me. Then he, This is his words too in the interview. All human beings idolize something. It talks in the Bible about false idols and we all have false idols. We all serve some master, whether we realize it or not. So why not let it be the master who is above all? Now, I didn't bring Oliver Anthony's story here to tell you that, hey, here's a model of a born-again guy. I don't know his heart. I don't know if he'll, as quickly as that came, it'll go. That's not why I did that. I'm just telling you, that's how you really articulate help for real to God. Is I'm out of resources. Help. And you feel it in your gut. And then that's when you really know you're talking to God and not just... Going through, going through the motions. So you might ask at this point, well, how often should you ask God for help? Because, you know, you don't want to sound like a whiner, you know. So Paul tells us, pray on all occasions, all kinds of prayers and requests. Well, when I see the word all occasions, that tells me there must be, uh, there's never an occasion where it's wrong to ask for help. Like, if I'm to ask for help on all occasions, it means I'm to always ask for help. You know, as parents, it's hard for us to think about just always asking God for help because we spend our life telling our kids, stop asking for that. You know, if you, you take them to Walmart and like you, you could never finish shopping if you went by their agenda because there's new shiny things, there's new fluffy things. So 
they're always asking, and so you're always saying, stop asking me. Which is practically, that's fine as long as you understand that's not God. The number one word that is used in reference to prayer in the Bible is ask. You're never a bother when you're asking. If you've truly placed your faith in God's Son, if you've truly placed your faith in God's Son, you are God's child. And therefore, He is your Father, infinitely perfect, good, wise, loving, merciful Father, infinitely patient Father. You're never a bother, no matter how many times you ask. You say, well, if I'm asking for the wrong thing. Care? He doesn't care. Your kids... Your kids ask you for the wrong thing all the time because they're professional askers. <laughs> and it's no big deal. You just tell them no. You're not, you don't get that. You're not mad at them. It's what they're supposed to do. They're kids. Oh, children. Ah, oh, yes. Ask your father. Just let him say no. Ask him again. Let him say no again. Because he, he probably would be... Oh, I know what he's thinking. You know what he's thinking. He wrote 1167 chapters of what he's thinking in the Bible. It's like, it's, if, if I'm telling you no, it's not the right time, or this is you know, not, not the right way, or there's going to be more joy later, or more glory if I don't give it to you it's, and, and give you that instead. Or he said, listen, I know this is very important to you, but you need to understand when I do this in your life, it affects this circumstance and that person and eventually affects like a gazillion people. So this is not an arbitrary no. This is not an arbitrary wait. This is there are things happening that you don't know. I want to... I want to lay a, a Tim Keller quote on you, and this is about as demanding as I could ever be for you. Uh, and I'm, I, I, I put it out there sympathetically because it'll take the rest of your life to process it. You know, Tim, New York, Manhattan, pastor, writer, died a couple months ago, sort of modern-day C.S. Lewis type. And I just love this statement. If we knew what God knows... We would ask exactly for what he gives. I know for what you've been through. I know for what you've been through. You cannot believe you would ask for that. So that, I'm tender about that. I'm just really trying to put the emphasis on he, he knows a lot. So a couple questions. What big things have you asked? Sorry. What big thing have you not asked God to do? Because you decided it's impossible. Or what small things have you not asked God to do because you decided he would not, or that he would think it's unimportant? Don't err in either one of those. Keep asking. And finally, the last of the prayers to help you pray all the time is I'm sorry. If you demand a little bit of biblical flavor on that, forgive me. You say, I'm sorry, forgive me, however you like to say it. Forgive me. But 
I just want to tell you, if you want to grow in prayer and grow in relationship to God, then keep your sin list short. If you commit it, admit it. And admit it quickly. Because God knows your heart. He knows when he formed you that you were dust and frail and fallen. And so he's not surprised with you coming over and over again saying, forgive me. He designed the scripture to encourage you to do that. Proverbs 28, 13, whoever confesses their sins, shoot, sorry, Proverbs 28, 13, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Lifelong verse for me, I just know, whenever I confess it and ask God to help me turn from it, I get mercy. First John 1 John 1.9, you grew up with this, I'm sure, if you've been in church. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Why? Next chapter. If anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He, of course, his blood, his suffering is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So I'm sorry. Say that to God. I'm sorry. Forgive me. You don't have to write a big speech. I mean, we saw that in the prodigal son. God said, enough with the big speech. And then he hugged him. Said, just, just, just confess it quickly. Don't let it linger. Trust Christ. He will forgive you no matter how often. Can you imagine if you had a stinky bag of trash, garbage in your garage. Like it's just sitting there and like anytime you open the garage, it's like smells. And all of a sudden a friend drives up. He's just coming to hang out with you. And when he leaves, he says, hey, uh, I got my pickup truck and I'm headed out to the landfill. You want me to take the bag of trash with me? You go, oh, no, 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 I'm good. Uh, They're coming Wednesday. Garbage man's coming Wednesday. I just wait for him. Now that he would take it then, He's waiting. Listen, Jesus Christ, look, nail-scarred hands is with you right now saying, can I take this garbage? Can I take this guilt from you now, today? Why would you wait? Now, just confess it now and be done with it. So that's how you live. To pray always. Just make sure your day is filled with thank you, help me, and I'm sorry prayers. All right, this little book here, this is not going to be for everybody. It's for those of you who are nerdy and you like reading prayers that were written in the 16 and 1700s. It's called The Valley of Vision. I like it because I don't pray so well, very ADD guy, and I need focus. So this is just a bunch of prayers from a group of people called Puritans, and they knew how to talk to God. The reason I like the book is because all of the prayers are mainly composed of thank you, help me, and I'm sorry prayers every time they pray. I'll read you one now. I'm reading from page 16. Uh, Eternal God, you are surpassingly great. You are unspeakably good. Thank you for your superabundant grace and your favor toward me. Thank you for your personal mercies a measure of health, preservation of body, comforts of house and home, sufficiency of food and clothing, 
continuance of mental powers like that. Thanks for my family, their help and support. The delights of domestic harmony. May not describe you on the way to church this morning, but <laughs> a lot of the time it's, it's okay. Uh, but here's the th thing. But oh, how I mourn my sin, my ingratitude, my vileness, my offending tongue. All things in heaven and earth have seen my misdeeds. The cruel accuser judges me correctly. Speak of Satan, not God. Your, count, your countenance has seen my secret sins. I deny them not. Man, I wish we still taught like that. <laughs> I deny them not. I deny them not. I frame no excuse, but confess, Father, I have sinned. Just done. Take the garbage out. Here's the hope. Here's the thank you. Yet still I live and I fly, repenting to thy outstretched arms. Thou will not cast me off, for Jesus brings me near. Thou will not condemn me, for he died in my stead. Thou will not mark my mountain of sin, for he leveled them all. And his beauty covers my deformities. Oh my God, I bid farewell to sin by clinging to the cross, hiding in his wounds and sheltering in his side. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from Hope Point Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. If you would like to learn more about us or give to this ministry, please go to our website at hopepoint.org. We hope you can join us again next week.